0: uh, this series that we've been in for the last several weeks, and uh, we're closing in on the final piece of that here pretty quick. Um, and uh, what we've been doing through this is we've been asking the question of what did Jesus say? What did he say about, and we fill in the blank. And uh, today we're going to be looking at specifically what did Jesus say about serving To serve or be served? It's not so much a question in all reality as much as an evaluation for us as the church. In what we do, do we do it to serve or to be served? In my marriage... Do I seek to serve or to be served in my participation as the body of Christ? Do I come to serve or to be served? When I step outside of these doors, do I go into my community to serve or to be served? We can go on and on and on and on with these questions, right? And so often, some of our greatest frustrations tend to be rooted in this internal feeling that I deserve to be served. Whether we realize it And admit it or not. And so we're going to ask the question, when it comes to serving, what did Jesus specifically say about this? But to do so, we're actually going to take a narrative in Scripture, and we're going to walk through that and see specifically what took place. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13, whether that's a digital copy of Scripture or a a hard copy of God's Word. Uh, just make sure you have it. And uh, what, what we're gonna do is, uh, I'm gonna walk through this narrative just kinda bit by bit, piece by piece. And, uh, you'll be able to reference this on your own, uh, as you follow along even, uh, through that narrative. Um, and we're just gonna unpack and see what is, uh, what is commonplace. Uh, as far as Jesus' example of this and what He's specifically teaching to His disciples, um, but I want to pause for a minute. I want to pray. I, w- I want us to pray specifically that we would allow the truth of God's Word and the example of Jesus to be that which moves us from where we are to where ultimately He wants us to be. Okay, so let's pause a minute. Let's go to the Lord. And let's pray before we dive further into this. Father, we acknowledge and recognize that apart from you, we have nothing. And Lord, that you have called us to maturity, that you have called us to be like Christ. And Lord, we confess that we fail at this. And we are so much more inclined, Lord, to pursue our own self and to root into that. Lord, I confess that I am more prone to this. And so, Lord, I pray that you would break us of our selfish tendencies today. Open our eyes, Lord, by your Spirit's power. Help us to see clearly what you have called us to. And how we can be people who serve In every opportunity that you've given us. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to picture this. It's before Passover. Passover. This feast. This tradition. Year in and year out. The people in Israel. The Jews celebrating. God's redemption, God's deliverance, seen most specifically in the book of Exodus as God delivers his people from the angel of death, that that is that the angel of death literally passed over those homes where the blood of the slain lamb was painted across the doorposts. So you can imagine with this came a sense of terror, reminding of the terror and yet the faith that God would indeed deliver them and the celebration of said redemption. But as with every culture and as with anything over time and tradition and things taking place, things happening, you develop some sense of monotony where this is yet another year as we prepare to share the Passover dinner together. I imagine that all of these emotions and all of this was happening at the beginning of what takes place in John chapter 13, where we see that this was before the feast of Passover. But well, we recognize not only this, but that at this point, Jesus, fully aware of what was about to take place, prepares to eat alongside His disciples. Now, we could picture, even alongside of this, a a broader tension that's taking place. Why? Well, there's been... Years now of Jesus' ministry and all of this culminating, the disciples wondering when is all of this going to come to be? When is Jesus going to rule? When is all that has been taught and talked about and everything we're excited about going to finally be reality? And even though Jesus himself had been preparing the disciples for what was to come, what Jesus knew was coming, there still seemed to be this lack of understanding as to exactly what Was going on. The other piece of this. That sets the tone. Of what is taking place in this narrative. Is that indeed. Judas. Had already made up his mind. And given himself over. To the devil. Judas. Convinced. He's the only one who knows. He's already sold Jesus out. He prepares in the coming little time to, to actually physically deliver Him over. And so, picture Him in the midst of all that is taking place in the normal, traditional preparations as they gear up for the Passover meal. Knowing this, present helping, doing everything he can, just as it would have been for the past several years. Jesus, in the midst of them, as was common with Jesus, because we recognize he already could tell and know and uh, see what was going to happen because indeed he was God in the flesh, also knows that Judas has already given himself over. Now, prior to this, Jesus has actually told Peter and John, go into this town. There's going to be a guy carrying water. You're going to go to him. Ask him if we can rent the room, this guest room, that we may share in this meal together. They went and they made preparations for this. So, uh, picture coming into this place. The preparations have been made. They're gathered together together. And Jesus, knowing what was to come, us reading this, knowing from the narrative what ultimately takes place. For the disciples, this was not the Last Supper, it was yet another gathering. This sets the tone. But then something takes place. Amongst all that is going on, we can almost sense the shift in the environment when Jesus rises from the table, takes off his outer garment, and the disciples are all going, what is he doing? What is happening And he gets the basin and he fills it with water and he begins one by one going around washing his disciples' feet. Now this was common, common practice. Anywhere you went because walking around in the dirt and the muck, your feet naturally became filthy And so upon entering the home, the common practice was the servant would wash everyone's feet so they could recline and eat the meal without being concerned about the dirt on their feet getting everywhere else. So I can only imagine what is happening amongst the disciples as Jesus begins to do this. Were they staring aimlessly down at him like, what do I do? Were they looking at each other like, what's happening? Or maybe, just maybe, every single one of the disciples looked to Peter and John who were supposed to have made the preparations and thought, you idiots, you forgot the servant. What were you thinking? And yet, as Jesus moves from one disciple to the next, recognize that in this narrative, not one of the disciples gets up to do it themselves. Now, Jesus, in verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and was going back to God, this is a moment where Jesus is at the height of His ministry. Jesus, culturally, had become a pretty important guy. So in this moment, where, where is the servant? This, this is ridiculous. Is there no one else to do this? In fact, it wasn't even that long ago if we consider the disciples we start to understand a little more about where they were at in the scheme of this, not getting up from the table, not stooping to the level of serving in this way. It was not that long ago that we see the sons of Zebedee, James and John, who are vying for who will get to sit next to Jesus on his throne. Who is it that's going to have the highest status? And you can just picture here for a moment that here's these guys who for roughly three years had walked with Jesus. They had seen everything Jesus had done. These were ordinary, run-of-the-mill guys who had no big purpose. They were not royalty. They were not kings. They were ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors who Jesus called... And said, so I'm gonna make you fishers of men. I'm gonna make you disciples. So they followed Jesus. But all along, we see this consistently. They were convinced that because they had the closest relationship with Jesus, man, we're gonna have it good. Who, who do you think's gonna to get to sit next to him? You just wait, just wait until all these people see us then. They think we're nothing now. You wait. I'm going to be something. All because Jesus, Jesus is going to be king. And we're his closest friends. Jesus stoops to this level and washes their feet. Now, Jesus, if we look at the character of Jesus... Man, Jesus had become somewhat of a rock star around a lot of the areas within Jerusalem and Israel. He was known for the miracles he'd performed... He was known for the controversy that was stirred up amongst the religious leaders. All these groups, there was groups of people following him. There's groups of people that are, are, are after him to shut him down because they were convinced he was blasphemous and that none of what he's saying is true. He's disobeying the law. He, he was well known. Everyone say well known. Jesus was known. And yet Jesus, In this room. Is the only one who truly understands and knows what's going to happen next. In that moment, Jesus could have done any number of things. He could have called out any one of the disciples. He could have called out Judas. And said, Judas. How about you wash everyone's feet? Because, you know, you and I, that would be our tendency, right? I know what you're going to do, Judas. So just this one last time before you do this evil deed that you're going to do, I'm going to make you serve everyone else just to stick it to you. Instead, Jesus rises from the table and he does it himself. The same Jesus that fed thousands, the same Jesus who walked on water, the same Jesus who proclaimed the truth of who God was all across Is the same Jesus who humbled himself to the point of serving and washing the disciples' feet. But why this? Why is Jesus doing something that not even they, as his followers, would stoop to do? Well, then, (laughs) Jesus comes to Peter. Oh man, what a reaction! Look here at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And I have to think in that moment, did Peter really grasp that? I think not. You're, You're about to wash my feet. You're about to do the one task that only the lowest of the low should do. Peter said to him, you shall never, you, you shall never wash my feet. And I can only imagine that you and I, sitting in Peter's shoes, would say the exact same thing. Jesus, no way, you will not wash my feet. And trust me, you would not be saying that simply because you think your feet are gross. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. (laughs) So then his tone shifts. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me a bath, Jesus. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, But not every one of you. Now this draws out one of the first observations I want you to grasp. And that is apart from the cleansing work of Jesus, you have no share in the kingdom. You see, Jesus here, when he's speaking to Peter, he's not talking to him simply about this external bathing. As Peter clearly grasped it because he went, Jesus, if this is what it takes to have a share in your kingdom, bathe me. Cover me all over. Wash me from head to toe. And yet Jesus comes back to this spiritual, eternal focus and says, no, 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 no the one who has already been cleansed doesn't need to wash except for his feet. You see, church, the gospel hope is rooted in this reality that apart from the cleansing work of Jesus in you, you have no share with Him. That the only way for you to participate in the eternal things that God has promised, the eternal blessings that are yet to come, is through the cleansing work that only Jesus can do. It doesn't matter how many times you show up. It doesn't matter how faithfully you invest. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. If you have not been washed by Jesus, you have no share in the kingdom of heaven. And so maybe this today is where you need to sit in in the broader narrative and you go, "I, I, I haven't been washed. Or maybe you're like, Peter... And you're going, Lord, bathe me again and again and again. And you need to rest in the truth that if you've been cleansed in Christ, you are cleansed. Ultimately, this is the hope that we root into, that we are secure in Christ. And knowing that there is no longer, church, get this, there is no longer any stain that is incapable of being cleansed. There is no longer any stain that cannot be cleansed by the work of Jesus. This is a foreshadowing to the disciples of what's to come. But there's more here. Jesus finishes washing the disciples' feet. He dresses Himself and He sits back down. Man, you thought there was tension before. <laughs> what just happened? And Jesus sits down and at the end of verse 12 He says, he asks them a question, do you understand what I have done to you? And I have to imagine the disciples are looking at each other like, my feet are clean. Did I miss something? What, what was I supposed to get? And maybe they threw out some response, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they responded and Jesus just sat there in silence. Or maybe, Maybe, just maybe, Jesus asked this question and he sat there in silence. Have you ever been a part of a group like that? And then there's someone who's just staring like, I'm waiting for you to answer. In verse 13, Jesus responds and he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right. For so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This brings us to the main emphasis of what Jesus says and ultimately models in serving. And that is simply this. Do as Jesus did. Get low and serve. The disciples clearly had this mixed up. Once again, pride of life. Man, you and I are the same way. I can't wait to get to a place in my life where someone else can do all the work for me. I know people who say that. Or maybe, I can't wait to get to a spot in my job where all I have to do is tell other people what to do. And yet Jesus identifies in the kingdom of heaven, (laughs) there is no distinction between the one who is the servant on earth and the greatest of great before God. We are judged equally. Jesus, being God in human flesh, humbles himself to the place of serving at the lowest of the low to pick up the basin and to wipe the muck and the dirt off into the water. Person to person, the water becoming more and more dirty. Faithfully washing his disciples' feet. And then he says to his disciples, Just as I have done to you, you do to each other. You see, Jesus, in the grand scheme of all of this, sets the tone for what we see emphasized in the whole rest of Scripture, and more specifically, for those of us who have been cleansed by Christ. That it's not about me. Why isn't it about me? Because Jesus is the only one who can cleanse me. And if He's the only one who can cleanse me, then I have no way to salvation but through Him. Therefore, in recognizing that, man, I'm going to serve with everything I have, the people around me. Why? Because I don't deserve the fact that Jesus not only served me, He died for me, and He is my Lord. So what does this look like practically? It's not long after this that Jesus tells his disciples a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. He sets the standard. Why should we serve? Why should we live and seek to model Jesus? Because it's who he has revealed himself to to be to us. It's who He is right now to you and me. A God who faithfully serves the purpose of His will, who walks alongside of us, who strives to offer grace and mercy to us when we do not deserve it. And calls us to be like Himself. But practically speaking, how often do we follow suit with the disciples here We recognize that we have been cleaned, but do we really understand what has been done for us in Christ? Do we really get it? Flip over to Philippians 2 with me. Philippians chapter 2. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. And then I want to give you just three specific applications of how you can seek to model the serving of Jesus day after day. Another point I want to draw out of this. Okay? Many people ask me, or will ask the question of themselves, Who am I called to serve? Everyone. Everyone. And that's modeled by the fact that Judas was sitting around that table. The very guy who had already sold Jesus out. Jesus knew that. How many of us, if knowing that ahead of time, would still wash their feet? I would struggle. Just being transparent, I would struggle. But practically, what does it look like? Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Everyone say same. same. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Everyone say one. one. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. So recognize that it's not that you look past your own interests. It's not that you just bypass those, but not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Church, this is your possession to take hold of in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 13, said to his disciples, you know these things, but blessed are you if you what? If you do them, everyone say do Blessed are you if you do them. So how do I do this? How do I serve as Jesus has served? How do I love as Jesus has loved? What do I do? And I'm going to give you three practical ways you can start doing this today. Number one, develop a mission slash purpose statement for your home. It doesn't matter how many people are in your home. It doesn't matter what age you are. However, young or old, you can identify your mission and purpose for every time you step foot out of your bedroom. Do you have any idea what that is? Do you have any driving force aside from go to work Make money, come home. Get up, do my tasks, go to bed. That is not a mission. You may have purpose in that, but that is not living a life on mission, church. How will your calling to serve the people around you fit into your purpose as a home? And you can start this at any age. We had this conversation this last week with our kids. What does it look like to serve? How do we? How, how, how does a, a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old put this into practice? Well, unfortunately, church, just sometimes, a lot of times, our kids are a lot better at this than you and I. And then other times, they're just not. And we see ourselves, right? develop a mission slash purpose statement for your home. Communicate that. Memorize it. Attach scripture to it. And commit those to memory as a family unit. It doesn't have to be complex. It could be so simple. Secondly, look for opportunities. Home, work, church, community. You have opportunities to serve right now. When you, when we get done here, you have the opportunity to serve those in this room. You at home have the opportunity to serve whoever you're watching with. Every one of us no longer has the excuse that you have to write a letter and mail it and wait for a few days for it to get to someone. We can pick up the phone and encourage someone. We can send a text message. We can do all of these things faithfully to serve Each other. But we have to resort that we're going to do it. The last one may seem really simple and really obvious, but it is the first step. Make time to serve. If you are too busy to serve other people, you're too busy. If you're so busy, That you're missing the opportunity. Husbands, if you are so busy, you're missing the opportunity to serve your wife on a daily basis. You're too busy. And I talk to you guys about that because in God's word, you're responsible for setting the tone of your home. It's not your wife's job. It's yours. For the rest of you... Whether you are a single individual, or you are a parent, or you have grandkids, it doesn't matter. You have opportunity all around you to serve. To lower yourself to the level of Christ and say, I'm going to wash people's feet. It is not a job that brings about glory is not a job that makes people go, whoa, I wish I had their job. Because it's messy and it's dirty. And a lot of times it's gross. Because people are messy and dirty and sometimes gross. And yet, adoption into God's family is not dependent on how composed you are. Adoption into God's family is not contingent on you having it all together. And if you're waiting until you have it all together before you decide to serve, before you decide to come to faith in Christ, man, you're going to be waiting your whole life, and you're still not going to get there. And so maybe you're here and you just need to say, my goodness, I have become so distracted and selfish by focusing on all these things I feel like I need to do better before I serve someone else. Shift those around. Start serving. Start living as someone who desires to care for the people around you. Make effort. Don't wait for them to come to you. Shift that around and start going to them. Think about the people who've wronged you. Think about the people who you just can't stand. And ask yourself, how can I serve them today? Because my goodness, I guarantee I'm a person that God could have every reason to say, I can't stand you anymore. It's our choice. So here's what I want you to do. If you're here today and one, you've not been cleansed by the work of Jesus. Then I want that to be what you seek out today. And maybe you're just here and you're like, I have become so distracted. I'm not serving. I am not about other people. I am all about myself. And if that's you, then you that's what I want you to focus on. And we as a church, my prayer is that we would be a culture of people who are known... what Jesus described, not lording status over a community of people, but instead we would be so humbled by what God has done in us that our serving exudes out of that. And then no matter who we engage with, no matter who we encounter outside of these walls. That they see Jesus in us, because my goodness, if you were like me. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing right now. That's what I pray we become. It starts with us. May we strive to serve as Jesus served. May we strive to recognize that because Jesus has died for me, I am called to die to myself and live for him. Amen. Father, As we close this time now, I pray that you would help us to focus more specifically on who you are, that you would be glorified, that you would be the reason we serve. And ultimately, Lord, I pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.